So much choir. Wow. What an incredible week. Uh, can I, you have greatly exceeded all my expectations for Bayshore. I've had friends that have been here. They've told me about it. In fact, I go places. Have you ever been to Bayshore? And uh, no, I've never been there. And then finally, I got this invitation. And uh, finally, Kevin sent me this invitation probably three or four years ago. It's been on the books quite a while, I think. And, and to be able to come and to be with you all, this has just been... Christy and I just want to thank you so much for your warmth. It has just been a delight. Every camp is different, but Bayshore has something in it that you just, it's, it's intangible. We go back to the room, we try to say, let's figure this place out. How does it work? And I've had a chance to visit with Jeff, your, the director of the whole thing, and his heart for this. And can I just tell you, keep the fire red hot. Keep the fire hot. Throw more logs on it. Pray harder, work harder, give more, support it, stand with it. Because you are of a dying tribe. There are not many left of your tribe that are like Bayshore. So I want to challenge you as best I can to just do the best you can. Keep it hot and keep it going. Now, I will leave with some pictures in my mind. And there's a picture tonight that I got a snapshot. Isn't that crazy? This is just how my dumb head works. Uh, I got a crazy snapshot. And it's this brother right over here beside the lady with the maroon sweater, uh, sweatshirt that says uh, Bay, uh, Bar Harbor, Bar Harbor. I will leave with this picture in my mind. We're singing that song, uh, is it the Awake Course? Is that what you call it? Awaken or whatever? I like that. Yeah, Awakening Course. I like that. And, and I'm kind of looking. I, it's new to me. And I'm kind of looking. I'm watching. I look at my brother, and it comes to this part where it says, we backward hurl, and he, he must be an old softball umpire. Because when he sang that, he went, we backward hurl, and he went, out oh, just like that. <laughs> I got so excited. So when it came time to sing it the second time, he threw that guy out twice and threw him out of the game. And it was great. It's just been a delight. And, and Kevin, I want to thank you so much. And your lovely wife, Helen, I thank you so much. It's been... It's been special to be able to, to work with you guys. Christy and I feel like we've got new friends for life. And uh, you guys are something else. You, you are just a blessing. All of you have just been so good. Now, every area has its culture. And, and frankly, I've been trying to figure out this area, this sugar beet deal. I've been trying to figure it out. I've been, when Ricky talked about the smell, I think that was leftover sugar beets or something. I don't know what it was. But uh, I've been trying to figure this thing out how this sugar beet deal works because I'm a farm guy and I know soybeans and I know corn and wheat, but sugar beets is kind of all new to me. And they tell me that I will be blessed if I come up about October and I can inhale. I can inhale the sugar beets. That my sinuses will be cleared uh, forever if I can do it. But every area, every area is just so different, isn't it? Uh, we get into areas that are, that are really unique. Um, I do something. Can I, can I have just a moment to do the Helen? Is that okay? Um, um, I like to go into camps. And when I go into camps, I like to test and see their culture level. Now, is there anybody here, I think there would be, who enjoys country western music? Anybody here like country western music? Okay, three of you. Okay, here we go. Well... I, have, I went on a research project 10 years ago 
to discover the silliest country western song titles. And so what I do is I read them and then your response tells me if it's going to make the cut. This is a refined list and it's shortened now because some of them never made the cut. Okay, are you ready? These are real country western song titles uh, from Motown. Uh, but they, they are real country western song titles. Are you ready? So your response will kind of tell me if it's going to make it or not. Number one, true song title. Her teeth was stained but her heart was pure. got a shot. Here's another one. My John Deere was breaking your field while your dear John was breaking my heart. Here's one. This is a real country western song title. Jeff, you might want to get this on the playlist for Bayshore in the future. Think about this one. I still miss you, baby, but my aim's getting better. That is a real country western song title. I hate this one. This is terrible. This is absolutely terrible. I wouldn't take her to a dog fight because I'm afraid she'd win. That's terrible. Scratch that one. That one didn't make it at Bayshore. Politically incorrect. I just bought a car from a guy that stole my girl, but the car don't run, so I figure we got an even deal. That's bad. These are real titles. Seriously. You could put me in prison, but you can't keep my face from breaking out. And here, here's the last one. Here's the last one. This one is really going to make it big in Bay City and, you know, Unionville and all the towns around here, probably even up in Caseville. Here it is, the, the one. Mama, get a hammer. There's a fly on Papa's head. <laughs> oh, my. Well, thank you for letting me have a little bit of fun with y'all. Isn't that kind of good when we get together as family? You know what we do when we get together as a family? We laugh a lot and we cry a lot. And we experience the whole range. We experience the thrill of victory, and sometimes life goes tough, and we experience the agony of defeat, and we get it all rolled together. But we're all in this thing called the family. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them tonight. I want you to get them up, and I want you to hold them high. Hold them real high. Come on, get them up there. It's the hardest work some of you have done all week. There you go. Here we go. Turn with me to the next to the last book of the Bible. Next to the last book, it's a little shorty. It is a tiny little book. It is composed of how many? 25 verses, the book of Jude, the next to the last book of the Bible. And the next to the last book of the Bible, Jude, is so rich. It is so rich. I hadn't planned on sharing this with you. And just, just about just a few minutes ago, I sensed, you know, I sense actually this is what God wants you to hear tonight. Now, we're all going to get in our cars and we're going to go home. Some of us are going to drive back to God's country, Hoosier land. And some of you are going to stay in, in Wolverine land and Spartan land. You guys can't figure out who you are around here, whether you're a Spartan or a Wolverine. But we're all going to go back home to where we're going to go, right? And then about 12 months is going to pass. We're going to come back. Now we're leaving on a pretty good level. Encourage. It's been good to be together. It's been good to laugh together. 
the programs, you know, miniature golf and the carnival and, and the talent show and everything. We've enjoyed the fellowship. We've had this. But I wonder when you come back on this gowns in 12 months, what your spiritual temperature is going to be. What's it going to be in 12 months? Now, the fact of the matter is most of us have these points in our spiritual journey where we get together, we can go up, but we have a hard time sustaining our spiritual intensity. We have a hard time doing it. Now, the book of Jude is incredible. He starts off at the first part of the book, and he says, this is going to be a tough battle. Look in Jude. Go over to Jude. Let's start like in verse 3. He says, dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. He says, things are not okay at the okay corral. We got some trouble that's going on. Look at the next verse, verse 4. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. We talked about that in our class this, this morning from Nehemiah, how sometimes error begins to creep in, and it does it, the, the word there, secretly crept in among you, is, is a, is a, it's a three-part compound Greek word that has the idea that it looked parallel to the way you're going, and then it started to, it started to get off course, and it started to deviate. And he said, we've got some problems in the camp. He said, they're godless men who changed the grace of God into a license for immorality. They denied Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Now, what he's going to do is go all the way now, clear down for the sake of time. I want to take you down to verse 20, because in verse 20, what he does is he gives you a blueprint on how to maintain your spiritual muscle, how to stay strong 12 months out of the year, 365 days, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How can you build spiritual muscle? Now, let me tell you, all of us want to be strong. It's amazing. Gym memberships soar in January. They maintain a fair amount in February, and by the time March comes, take a look at the charts, and they all drop off. How many times have all of us started some type of a workout routine? We say, I'm going to do this thing. And then it just kind of goes by the wayside and it doesn't do it. Now what he's going to do is give you a blueprint. And I'm going to hand it to you quickly and simply tonight. There are four simple steps for you to maintain your spiritual intensity. Now you can't take Bayshore home with you. You can't do it. You can't even take Michelle home with you. I mean, you can't do these things. We've got to learn what it is to be able to take our faith home with us and maintain the fire and keep the fire red hot. Here's what I want you to understand. You must keep the fire red hot. Say that together. Keep the fire red hot. Leviticus chapter 6 says, never let the fire burn out on the altar. Never let it burn out. It's an incredible passage. It says, always keep your spiritual fire red hot. Now, what he's going to do is, amidst all this stuff of this error coming in and people changing the grace of God into outrageous behavior, he said, there's four things that I want you to do. So what I am tonight is I'm the coach in the locker room, okay? And we're about ready to take the field. Are you ready? We're going to go out on the field. This is not the game, folks. This is the locker room preparing for the game. When you head back to where you're going, you're going to have to get in the game. And, not, and there's an opponent out there that's going to try to defeat you and destroy you. 
He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. So we had better be ready or we're going to get steamrolled unless we keep the fire red hot. Say that together. Keep the fire red hot. Now here we go. Four things you have to do. Number one, look at this. It's just right there. I don't even, this is just the sermon's right there in the verse. But you, verse 20, but you, dear friends, build up yourself in your most holy faith. You've got to build up yourself. You've got to build muscle in yourself. Now, the first thing when you read that you understand is, is you are responsible for your own spiritual well-being. You are responsible for your own spiritual well-being. Now, every once in a while, someone will come in and say, Pastor, I'm just not getting fed. And I'll look at them and say, well, I'll do a better job, but can I tell you something? My goal in the church is try to produce self-feeders. I want to produce people who can feed themselves. Now, we're going to come together and feed. I'm going to teach you the word, but I want to get you to the point where you can feed yourself. Paul talked about that. Remember, I told you this in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, you're just babies sucking on a bottle. Come on. You need to become strong. Build up yourselves. You are responsible for your own spiritual formation and your own spiritual development. Now, the word he uses there is a fascinating word. He uses the word build that if you go into the Greek and you look at the, the, the heart of the world, it's the word oikos. Oikos, which simply means like a house, household of faith. Oikos is house. So what he's trying to do, this scripture is so rich. What he does is he gets out the blueprint and says, just as you build a house, you have to build up your faith. Anybody here build a house? You've, you've, you've had a house built for you. You've, you've lived in a new house. We, we've done it twice. We've done it twice. The first time we did it foolishly, and the second time we did it smart. The first time we didn't really have a good plan. I said to my Amish friend Arlen, I said, Arlen, I got a picture of a place. Build this thing for me. And it was a fun adventure. Now, we did good price-wise, but we had a few mistakes along the way. Things didn't quite go well because we didn't have a good, thought-out, strategic plan. The second time we built, we got smart. And we said, we better have a good blueprint. We better have a good builder. We better have a good plan so it all comes together. Oikos yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now, what that word talks about is this thing of being spiritually strong is going to take work. It's going to take work. Every one of us wants to have another spiritual experience instead of a disciplined walk and relationship with him. June 17, 1972, two gigantic events happened in America. One of them you know about, the other one you probably never heard of. The one that you know about the one that you probably never heard of is, I should say, is Watergate. That was the day of the Watergate break-in. And if you remember history, you remember what happened with Nixon, the Watergate break-in. The other event that is world famous that you have heard about is that it's the date of our anniversary when we got married. And that was a big day. Now, when we got married, we got married in Portland, Oregon, the first Evangelical United Brethren Church in Portland, Oregon. My wife grew up on the EUB side. She feels a little old EUB blessing on this ground, you know. When she walks around, she says, I think this is a little bit of my tribe. It's, it's, her dad was an EUB pastor. And, and so we got married at the first EUB church. It was a great ceremony. It was incredible. I was 100 pounds less when I got married than I am now. Isn't that something? My wife can cook and I can eat. And so things changed over the years. Now, when we got married, we had a few problems along the way. I found out that she didn't do things right. We got married, 
And one night before she went to bed, she said, I'm going to have a bowl of cereal. You don't do that in Nebraska. That's called breakfast cereal. You do not eat that at night. You don't do that. We started having conflicts in our marriage. Now, when we had conflicts in our marriage, you know what I, I, I could have said to her? I said, honey, let's drive back to Portland First EUB Church and let's get married all over again. We didn't do that. You say, that's silly, Dave. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. We didn't do that. We weren't interested in another experience. We were interested in improving our relationship. And that's the way it is in your walk with Christ. Some of you want to have, keep having another wedding ceremony. You don't need another wedding ceremony. You need to build now a strong relationship with Christ if you've been born again. And you need to know what it is to grow in here. Build up yourself in your most holy faith. And he looks at that passage and says, you've got responsibility to do this thing. You've got to step forward and you've got to do the work. A life principle of mine is Proverbs 21, 31. We should prepare the horses for battle for the Lord gives the victory. And we've got a responsibility. So, so I'm going to turn you loose in your responsibility to build up yourself in your most holy faith. Now, how are you going to do it? You're going to do it by learning what it is to have a daily quiet time. Now, our guys who work in student ministries call it TOG, T-A-W-G, time alone with God. And all of our students are taught. We take them off, we take them to camp, we set aside time every day. Go do your time alone with God because you're going to have to have this time if you're going to build up your muscle. I grew up on this thing of a daily quiet time. Every day, I've got to learn to do this thing. Mark 135 says, listen to this. Oh, this is incredible. Read this one on your own time. But just before Mark 135, Jesus is overwhelmed with life. In fact, the phrase is, everyone was at his door. Everyone was at his door. So what did he do? Mark 1.35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went off to a solitary place to be alone and to have that time. So what you need to do is you need to build up yourself. Take responsible for your own formation. You need to learn what it is to be able to get in God's word and to become a self-feeder. Whenever I lead someone to Christ, I, I, I do this. I always have one person I'm discipling one-on-one. -on -one. Even though my schedule is when I get back home, I've got a meeting schedule real quick with Rick. He's a new believer. He's in book three in Navigators. I'll get together with him. We'll spend 45 minutes once a week. I don't care what the schedule is because he's got to get muscle and get into God's word. There are so many resources for you to grow in, but you've got to build yourself up. Spiritual development and formation will not take place by you attending the right church in itself. It will not take place by you listening to the right radio preacher on radio or watching some television preacher, the right one. It will take place when you take responsibility to learn how to get in God's Word. And you know what? If you can't do it, find someone. Find someone just a little further along with you and say, would you help me? Would you help me? Can we get together and jump in God's Word and grow? Build yourself up. Number two. Number two. What does he say next? This just preaches itself. He said, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Second thing is going to be your own personal prayer life. And this is hard. I feel like this is the one where I need to sit down and you need to teach me because I have to work the hardest of this, of all the spiritual disciplines. I shared with you this the other night. This is difficult for me. Can, can, I, can I take you with, into my problem with prayer? 
And maybe just someone here has the exact same problem I have, okay? So here I am. I'm praying, and I get down. Now, I'm the type of guy when I pray, I pray best on my knees. I don't know why. People say, are you trying to be spiritual? No. It's just something that I do. I'm just a knee prayer. I, I just, it just works best for me to do it. And so I get down on my knees, and I pray. And here, here's how my prayer life goes. Oh, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, thank you, Father, for how you helped me last week. I needed you. That lady in the third row back on the right side, that was the funniest top I've ever seen lady wear to church. Wonder why she wore that. Oh, but Lord, thank you. Thank you for helping me last week. And Father, I pray that you're going to help me to, to, to help me as I'm going to go out there to Bayshore Camp. And man, I want to minister as best I can. Michigan. Jim Harbaugh. Do I like him? Do I like him? Oh, Lord, he needs you. He needs you as Lord and Savior, Jesus. But, but they beat Nebraska one time when I was up there in the big house, and I hated it, and it hurt. And those fans weren't nice to me, Lord. They weren't nice. And pretty soon my mind just goes off on Michigan football for a while. And I get back on, and I say, oh, Lord, do any of you have that problem when you pray? Your mind just goes goofy on you? Oh, I feel good. I feel good. Oh, distractions. Do you know what I've had to do? I've had to get a little black book and inside that book focus myself in on prayer. I've had to learn to take time before I pray to say, Lord, I just got to take a couple minutes and get all this stuff out of my head. I've had to learn to pray out loud when I'm by myself. They're going to put me in prison sometime. The guy's nuts. He's praying out loud and nobody's around because my mind just goes crazy on me. It goes all over the place. I can't shift down. My mind operates quick, and I've had to learn that discipline of prayer. That's why in Mark 1.35, when it says very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And you have to have that time. Can I tell you something that just helps me? Are my prayer partners. Just a little bit before service, I got a text from one of my prayer partners, Rod. I knew Rod was going to have a hard situation today. And I, we had texted him last night. And, and Rod, in fact, the other morning, my prayer partner, Rod, sent me a text right at the end of class. He was praying for me. Every, every day when I was teaching over here in Nehemiah, Rod was praying for me. He asked me, now what time are you speaking? When's it going to be? He texted me after class. He said, Dave, I sense today something good might have happened there. I was crying out to God for you. Rod and I will pick up the phone. He travels the country. And I'll say, Rod, let's pray together. We've got to pray together. You need a prayer buddy. Can I, can I really crowd some of you in this room? You've never come to the place where you feel comfortable praying out loud with another person. And you are handicapping yourself. You've got to learn to do it. I want to tell you something about Bayshore Camp. Do you know the thing of everything I did here that for me was one of the most, probably the most meaningful thing was right down that hallway in that little room at 6.30 before service. And the group wasn't big, but there was a prayer meeting. And people who wanted to pray came in there. And they prayed. They prayed for your kids. They prayed for student ministries. They prayed. They cried out to God. I don't even know the names of the people that were in there. But I know there were some people who understood that if God's going to move in this place, it better be bathed in prayer. You heard me say this the other night. E.M. Bounds' classic quote, little prayer, little power, much prayer, much power. And he looks and he says, if you're going to do this, you've got to do this. Now, could I challenge you 
Could I challenge you to find a prayer buddy? Could I challenge you to find a prayer buddy? Men with men, women with women. I always like that. There's a depth of bonding that will take place in prayer that is best done if you're doing it alone. Men with men, women with women. And you're going to pray together. You see, Jude understands this assault upon our faith. You know, you know one of the highlights of my Sunday morning? One of the highlights of Sunday morning, it starts about 7, a little before when I get to the church. First service at 8. Second service starts at 9.30. At 9.15, I go back to my office, and there are three high school senior guys that are sitting at the table in my office waiting for me to come back. And they say, how can we pray? And they lay hands on me, and they pray for me. They're graduating. So in about three weeks, there'll be another three or four high school students that'll come back in and pray for me. Now let me tell you what, they know how to pray. Listen to this, Keaton. Keaton is something else. He's half crazy. So I, I get there in between services, and I'm sitting in my mind and saying, man, I just the last service, God, what happened? I didn't do my best, and I don't know what went wrong. I felt like I didn't communicate well. And I usually always feel that way when I'm done speaking. What, what happened? And I'm just desperate. Keaton gets over and he starts to pray. Here's what he prayed. This is Keaton. He said, dear God, help Dave this morning. Help him not to think he's got to be funny. Help him just to preach Jesus and lift up the cross. And may it be clear. Amen. Now you talk about a liberating prayer. A high school senior took a pastor and said, it's not about communication. It's about the anointing of the power of God on your life and your heart. Can I tell you the greatest sin in the church today? Next to the violation of Matthew 18, 15, not doing conflict well, is frankly our prayerlessness. God will just move right on down the road when we don't pray. He said, I'm going to find me some praying people. You see, prayer announces our absolute dependency upon God. God's got to do it. In fact, we, we, years ago, I read Jim Cimbala's book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Don't know if you've ever read it. Brooklyn Tabernacle. It rocked my world. Convicted me of my own prayerlessness. I said to one of the guys on staff, I said, I am so moved by this book. Let's buy a plane ticket. I want to go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and I want to go to their prayer meeting. I don't necessarily need to hear the choir sing. They're incredible. I don't necessarily need to hear Jim Cimbala preach. He's amazing. I want to go to their Tuesday night prayer meeting. So we flew out to Brooklyn, took a couple guys with us, flew out there with the purpose of going to a Tuesday night prayer meeting. I read in the book, they said that at 5 o'clock, when they unlock the doors on a Tuesday night, people are at the doors waiting to come in to pray. And I thought, they're blowing smoke. That isn't really what happened. There's probably two people that got their clock mixed up, and they thought they were waiting to come in, and it's not the truth. We were with them all day, and at five, about a quarter to five, I said to the four guys, three guys who were with me, I said, you go by that door, you go to that door, you go to that door. I want to find out if this thing is true. And it was. It was. It was true. They prayed. It was a prayer meeting every Tuesday night. It had no beginning and it had no end. It was the strangest thing I've ever been a part of in my life. In fact, at the end, there, there just really was no end. People just kind of left. It wasn't all night. It wasn't extensively long. Some of them prayed differently than others. Some of them prayed loud. Some of them prayed Mexican style. We call it. Everybody went all at once. You know, it's kind of chaotic at points. Different than my tradition, perhaps. Different than yours. But the bottom line is, you've got to learn what it is to win the battle in prayer. Find a prayer buddy. Find somebody. Say, man, I wish my pastor would preach better. Have you ever thought about going in the closet and praying for the guy? The gal. Have you ever thought about just asking God to come down upon me? You say, man, my church isn't doing anything. 
let me tell you the story of where I pastor. The story of where I pastor are a bunch of old timers. Oh, we're at a church of 100 people for 100 years. And they, I tell that story and they say, Pastor, you're wrong. Half those years it was 50 people. And there were a group of old timers. Bessie and Lowell and Marge and Dale and Glennis and Bob and Gladys, who were all retired people who just got on their face and cried out to God and said, God, once in our lifetime can we see a demonstration of God's power on this place. And what's happened today, we are living on the fumes of those people. We're living on their fumes. I used to stand up to preach and I found myself, I'm left-handed. Did you notice that? I'm left-handed. And I always was preaching to my right and I couldn't figure out why. And then I remembered, there sat all the old timers that had prayed and their faces were so excited to see lives change, people baptized, homes put back together again. It all starts with prayer. We're really doing poor at prayer. And I, I didn't come to guilt you. I talked about this the other night. I didn't come to guilt you on this. I came to motivate you because if you're going to come back to Bayshore next year, maintaining your spiritual intensity, you've got to build up yourself in your most holy faith. You've got to pray in the Spirit. And by the way, praying in the Spirit is a whole different way of praying. This isn't some wild, goofed-up deal. What it really is is allowing the Spirit of God to guide your mind, to guide your thoughts, to guide your words. You ever notice when you get in a prayer group, you kind of have rules? It's kind of like pray once and you're out. You know, that's it. Now go to the next person. They pray, they're out, do that. What if God were ever asked you to pray twice? Ooh, that messed things up. You're breaking the rules of prayer. What if God were to ask you to say a sentence prayer? What if God were to ask you? We, we kind of have this little prayer etiquette thing going on, don't we? Maybe God wants to break in in our lives. Let's go on. Number three, look at what he says. He says, but you, dear friends, build up yourself in your most holy faith. Get down, do some push-ups. Come on, you're going to have to work on this. Pray in the Holy Spirit and keep yourself in God's love. Number three, keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. For those of you Greek scholars, this is a first aorist active imperative. Don't have a clue what it means, but I read that in a Greek book one time. I do know what it means. It means this is something you do and you keep on doing it and it is not optional. It's not optional. It says keep yourself in the love of God. Just keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. It's too soon for you to quit. Paul, when he wrote Timothy, focused on this thing of endurance. The word he used for endurance is a word picture. It's the word hupomeno. It's a compound word. It means to abide or remain with a heavy weight that's on top of your head. You go overseas in Haiti, you go to some of these countries, you see these ladies. It just blows my mind. These little tiny ladies, hardly 100 pounds, who wrap a towel on their head and then carry a basket full of stuff on top of that. And they just walk upright and erect. They just keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep yourself, again, your responsibility, keep yourself in God's love. My father-in-law was my Greek professor in college. Now, this is not going to be a good story. You can tell this one isn't going to work out well, can't you? I wasn't married yet to Christy. I'd met her, and, 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 and we decided very early really young that we were going to get married and 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 and, and he, he was going to be my greek professor and we weren't we weren't married yet the most incredible greek professor you could ever have made me fall in love with bible languages and he always taught us he always taught us he said i could teach anybody greek i thought he's blowing smoke he can't do it and he could 
He could take the most below average student and teach them Bible languages. He created this love in your heart to learn the language. And he would always say this, Monday, I'm going to teach you a lesson. Wednesday, you review it. Friday, there'll be a test. Monday, there'll be a lesson. Wednesday, you review it. Friday, there'll be a test. And he had this system down. Lou, you could have even learned it. He said, Monday, there's a lesson. Wednesday, there's a review. Friday, there'll be a test. And he just built that into our head. Monday, a lesson. Friday, review. And Wednesday, review. Friday, there'll be a test. And he said, guys, don't you dare get behind. Because if you once get off this bus, you'll never get back on. You can't get behind. And I stuck with it. Until one week. I had a hard week. And I didn't get my stuff done. And I knew Friday, test day was coming. It was going to be. Now, you need to understand my father-in-law. I was 140 pounds dripping wet. My father-in-law is a rather large, rotund man. He's a big guy. And Friday is coming. And test day is going to come. So would you come with me? Would you come with me to the test? So I had to go to the second floor of the administration building to take the test. And here I am, 140 pounds, I'm going to marry the guy's daughter, and I'm not prepared for the test, and life, it's just not, it, it, it doesn't look good. And as I'm walking up the steps, these creaky old steps to go to the room and turn right in the hall to go down to the classroom, I'm starting to pray. And here's my prayer. Dear God, dear God, dear God, if there is a God, would you please help me on this test, Lord? Help me on this test. I haven't had time to study. I can't do this, Lord. I need your help. I'll be a missionary if you'll help me, God. I'll do anything if you'll help me. And I'm just pleading the blood of Christ and the power of the cross. And I'm crying out to him. And I walk in the room and I sit down at my desk. And in walks the professor, Dr. Morris. Big man with a God voice. And listen to his prayer. Dear God, reward each of these students according to the amount of their study. Amen. Now we have a theological problem. Okay, here's your question. Whose prayer got answered that day? It weren't mine. He didn't answer my prayer. Oh, baby, I flunked that sucker. I mean, it was going down nowhere because, why? Because I hadn't kept on keeping on. I'd cry out to God for all the magical answers, and God's up in heaven saying, Angbrecht, if you just would have studied, I'd help you on this one. I will not help you do, for I will not do for you what you can do for yourself. Keep yourself in the love of God. Come on. You've got a responsibility for your own spiritual formation. Sin is that thing that just kills us. It just kills us. And we entertain sin, and we let it come into our heart. We let attitudes come in, and words come in, and things come in. I'm just getting ready. I was doing a little bit this afternoon. I'm getting ready to start a series on the minor prophets. I've never preached much in all the minor prophets. We're going to take one a week. That was a mistake. I'll need 12 weeks in Hosea. But, but one a week, we're going to take these minor prophets. Do you know what I'm learning as I'm studying the minor prophets? This is big. God hates sin. I'm going to go tell the people that in a couple weeks. That God hates sin. Do you know what the minor prophets are all about? They are about the holiness of God. <laughs> 
And because God is holy, he says, I can't do this sin thing in your life. We've got to deal with this stuff. You know, it's interesting. I'm spending all this time in these 12 minor prophets, and there are only three themes in all 12 of them. Number one, God is holy. He hates sin. Number two, God is sovereign. He's going to do what he wants to do when he wants to do. And number three, God is loving. He's going to do everything to bring you back to him. That's really the whole 12 prophets. So I'll stand up the first week and say it's going to be 12 weeks, and it'll be five minutes. Repent, know God, live for him, and walk with him, and your life will be something. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep on keeping on. That's your phrase. Keep on keeping on. Say that together with me. Keep on keeping on. And answer your phone. Okay, here we go. Now, you guys are fun. Okay, now, here, 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 the, here it's going. He, he's got this going. Jude recognizes we got all kinds of goofiness going on. Crazy people with crazy theology. I'm thinking, man, this guy knows about us. He knows we're living in a world where right is called wrong and wrong is called right. Where women become men and men become women. And the whole thing has just gone stinking goofy. And, and God loves everybody and it makes no difference. And, and he says, uh, you, 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 you better take care of yourself. Build up yourself in your most holy faith. Okay. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Find yourself a prayer buddy. Okay. Keep yourself. Keep yourself. Keep on keeping on. And then the last one. Look at the last one. It's really interesting. Isn't it amazing? Isn't scripture just so rich? It's like for scripture for dummies. You know, it makes it so simple for guys like me to understand it. He says the last one, he says, as you wait, or literally translated, as you look, as you look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life, as you look. I just circled that word look in my Bible. And he says, I want you to keep your eyes. I want you to look up. Look up. I want you to keep your eyes on Jesus. I want you to keep your eyes on Jesus. I don't want you to get your eyes stuck on success and wealth and fame and the next deal. I don't want you to get your eyes on this perfect person you're going to marry someday. I don't want you to get your eyes locked on some great athletic career you're going to have and you're going to be some great Olympic athlete somewhere. He said, I just want you to keep your eyes on Jesus. I want you to look up. I want you to look up. I want you to be so fixed on the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews, we fix our eyes on the one who went before us. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We're just fixated on Jesus. And we're not going to get fixated in this world. I found myself about four months ago watching too much news on television. And it was just depressing me. It just got me depressed. And I was kind of wondering, what's going on? North Korea. Are these crazy guys going to nuke us? What's happening? The economy, stock market's on this crazy roll. Man, what's going to happen? Am I going to be able someday to retire and be able to eat at McDonald's once a week? I mean, what in the world's going on here? I found myself starting to get stressed out. What's going to happen to my 401k? And what's going to, oh, what's going to happen to my kids, my grandkids? He said, David, your eyes are a little too low. Look up. Look up. For your redemption draweth nigh, and keep your eyes on Jesus. People will always disappoint you. Churches will disappoint you. Some of you are here tonight, and you've been hurt badly in a church. And you've made a decision it's never going to happen again. Get your eyes off of that and get them up on Jesus. Some of you have been hurt by a pastor. Said something, did something, maybe by another person in the church, and you got a little, little grudge, a little thing inside. Come on, come on. 
Be quick to forgive and keep your eyes on Jesus. Look at him, the author and finisher of our faith. Jude just kind of brings it all to a conclusion and says, uh, if you're going to 12 months from now be in the reasonable same spiritual condition or growing, which we should be, as we grow in him, he said, you are responsible. Build up, pray in. He said, I want you not only to pray in, I want you to keep on, and I want you to look up. Now, here's what he does. What, watch this. This is great. Matt, you'll love this as a musician. You, you guys will just, you, you'll love this, because here's what he does. He brings this then to a crescendo. Now, what happened in verses 20 and 21 are all, come on, Dave, pick it up, buddy. Pick it up. And then verse 21, he says, and I want to talk to you about him. I want to talk to you about a God. Look what he says. To him who is able to keep you from falling. We don't have to fall. We don't have to stumble. And to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all the ages, now and forevermore. And he ends it with a great, big, hearty, amen. Isn't that something? He doesn't, he starts off saying, this thing's a mess. Everybody's messing things up. He takes you through your personal challenge and then he ends up saying, to God be the glory. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his throne with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Amen. Father God, thank you. You amaze me. You utterly amaze me. Because... You tell us how this thing can be done. You just don't say, I want you to live godly lives in this present age. You tell us how to do it. You tell us about our responsibility of building, our responsibility to, to nurture our prayer lives. Father, somebody in this room right now needs a prayer buddy, just needs a prayer friend. They need, they need to be able to access the power of God, not with meaningless words, but praying under the anointing of God's Spirit. Somebody in this room, Father, is tired and discouraged. Their attitude is getting a little rough, and they've been hurt along the way. Someone, Father, has had their eyes kind of slip off the cross and slip off of Jesus. And I pray now tonight that you, through your Holy Spirit, would just do that deep work in our hearts. Now, with your heads bowed, I want to ask you some simple questions. And I want you to respond to me very honestly, very honestly. I wonder how many of you in this room here would be honest enough to admit, to simply say, Dave, I, I am not building myself up. I do not have a regular, consistent time alone with God. And I'm going to leave Bayshore, and I'm going to find a way to do that. I'm going to find a way to do that. I may have to, you know, use our daily bread. I may have to find a devotional book. I may just start in the Gospel of John. And I'm going to try, with God being my helper, as best I can, to have a time alone with God where it's just the two of us. And, and, and if you're there, I just want you to just make that commitment right now. I want you just to raise your hand and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do my best. God, help me to do my best. Help me to do my best. God bless you. Okay, number two. How many of you in this room would say, Dave, 
I don't have a prayer buddy or a prayer friend or a prayer partner. And I just want to find somebody who can be my prayer partner. And I'm going to go searching for that. I'm going to ask God to send it. Raise your hand right now. If you say, I want one, I want one, I'm going to ask God to give me a prayer partner. Okay, God bless you. Number three, how many of you would say, you know, Dave, I have a tendency to get discouraged and I've got a tendency to start and stop in my spiritual journey. And I do this roller coaster thing a little too much. And, 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 I, and I've got to build inside of me. I want God to build inside of me a spirit of endurance. Keep on keeping on. Hupomeno, keep going underneath the load. And I'm going to ask God to give me endurance because I'm going through a season right now that is really hard and tough. And how many of you just raise your hand and say, I'm going through a tough one right now. God bless you. God bless you. Last one, how many of you here would say, my eyes have gotten on other stuff and they've just gotten off Jesus? Maybe some stuff has crept into my life and I've kind of accommodated sin. Maybe, maybe my eyes have gotten on success and I've gotten worried about the world and, and I've just not begun to focus in on Jesus the way I should. And you would just raise your hand and say, Lord, by your help, I want to look up my eyes. I want to raise them up and not be consumed with worry and fear and distractions. God bless you. There's many of you here. God bless you. Did the Spirit of God tonight kind of push in on you a little bit? I'm going to do something that might seem a little awkward and a little strange. But you know, one of the things we have to learn is, is instant obedience to when God speaks. We have to be very quick to repent when he points out sins and shortcomings. And what I want to do tonight is in no way I do this to embarrass you. I only do this to press into you to make a commitment. And tonight, you'd say, God, you, you, you had my phone number. You were in my zip code. You called my area code. And tonight, the Spirit of God just kind of did that thing to you. I'm going to ask you right now where you're at just to stand up. I'm just going to ask you to stand. Because what I want to do is I want, to build, I want you to build courage in yourself. Courage to stand alone. Courage to be quick, to obey when God speaks. I'm just going to ask you to stand. Just going to ask you to stand. Now, God spoke in different ways. Only stand if you sense that elbow in the rib saying, come on, I've got, I've got to do this thing. I want you to stand. Anybody else? See these last moments. Now, Father God, in this room tonight, we have no plans to come back in 12 months and say, oh, man, what a mess. I, I have less strength than I had a year ago. My prayer life is worse than a year ago. Father, I pray that when we measure ourselves next year and we go to the chart on the wall and we mark it off, we'll say, wow, God's doing a work. And Father, do it in individual ways the way you've spoken to them tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I, I marvel at you. Your, your word is incredible. And your Holy Spirit is remarkable. Thank you, Jesus. I want you all to stand together with me right now. Would you do that? And we're just going to worship the Lord in song before we go. And I want you, as you worship the Lord, just to focus, just lift up your eyes, just lift them up to Him, and get lost in loving Him as we close in song.